we decided that when approaching the opening sermon of Revelation, rather than reinventing it all, we will simply revisit the message that we've already heard. And this is possibly not a bad thing because this is a message which reminds us that Revelation is a book of encouragement. Quite often when we approach Revelation, there can be two sorts of um, ways that we can do it. The first is either with a sense of fear or confusion. We're sometimes overwhelmed with all the imagery and all the details that are in there. And it can be a little bit overwhelming for us. And sometimes it can be quite the opposite. Revelations can become a bit of a conspiracy theory or a um, real sort of cryptic message for us to try and unravel. And, And I'm sure all of us know some people who sort of turn Revelations into a bit of a hobby horse and they get caught up in all the detail and all the theories that they miss the main message. So hopefully as we revisit Revelation 1 this morning, you will get from it what the original recipients got from this book. That this is a word of encouragement. It was a word of encouragement when they were facing hard times. And it was a message that told them and that tells us that our God is big and no matter what we are dealing with or what we are struggling with, he wins and we will be part of that victory. So let's turn to our text, um, Revelation chapter 1. So our text today is the beginning portion of a letter of encouragement to a group of people. Now as we read through the scripture, here are some questions to keep in the back of your mind. Question number one, who wrote this letter? Who were the recipients? And also, why did the recipients need encouragement? Now, this, the answer to this question might not be totally apparent in our text this morning, but we'll touch on it anyway. And another question is, how did the writer encourage the recipients? Or another way to put that question is, with what did he encourage them? Note also, if you have a red letter Bible, that there are bits that are written in red, and these signify quotes that come directly from Jesus Christ. So let's um, pray and then we'll read through our text this morning. Father, we just thank you for the timeless nature of your word. Lord, we just thank you that this word that came originally to the the church 2,000 years ago has been a word that is relevant not only to us today but irrelevant throughout all of the church history, Lord. Lord, we pray as we we come to your text and as we look into what it means. Lord, we just pray that you open our hearts to your spirit. May your spirit speak to us individually, Lord, just different things that we may pick up on. And Lord, we just pray that your word will come through clear this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Right, we're going to read the whole of Revelation 1. The focus this morning is the first three verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel 
to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like a fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which you are, which are, sorry, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So this book is titled Revelation. What does that mean? 
What is it the revelation of? Well, that's easy, isn't it? It's revelation of future events. It's the revelation of things that are to come. And that's true, but it's more than that. In some of your Bibles, this book is titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And what we find is that it's not only a revelation from Jesus about end times, but it is a revelation of Jesus himself. It is a revelation of who he is. It is a revelation of him glorified. It is a revelation of his return and of his purposes and of his plans and the global and biblical implications that these things will have. It's a revelation of his sovereignty. God's in charge and good triumphs over evil. That is why this letter of encouragement was given to the first century church and why it is here for us to read in our Bibles today. It is an encouragement to the believer that God is great. Jesus Christ is the victor. He is one and in the future that victory will be consummated. And this does sort of several things for us. What it does is that it gives us perspective. It gives us perspective when we are suffering It gives us perspective when we are struggling with the same old sin when things happen to us and around us. Christ is the victor and because of this we as believers can persevere and overcome. So let's explore all of this a bit further. So the first question I asked you was who wrote the book? Now no doubt most of you already knew the answer to that, that it was John. And by the time of the writing of this letter, John was actually getting quite old. Scholars date this letter at around about 95 AD. So if we remember, the events that surrounded Jesus' ministry and his death were around about 33 AD. So this letter was written some 60 odd years after that. So that puts John at at a really high scale when it comes to, to age. At the time there was a period of great persecution of Christians. Uh, They were being pressured to undertake emperor worship. And this was during the reign of Emperor Domitian. And um, he died in 96 AD. So that's how they sort of dated this letter. Now there was also other issues facing the church such as false teachings and there were some dodgy practices that were starting to turn up in some of the local congregations. At the time John was sentenced as a criminal to Patmos and the reason why he was there is in today's text in verse 9. It was because he was faithful to the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he was sharing the gospel and he was being faithful to it. Now recently we have heard a lot about John and why he wrote the books that he did. See, John was a bit of an encourager and he was encouraging in his writings and he had a bit of a track record of encouraging others. The Holy Spirit inspired him to encourage believers in his writings. Graham McFarlane shared with us that John wrote the Gospel of John so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. Cal Fain shared about us with us about why John wrote the letter of 1 John 
so that those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So he was sort of encouraging them that with that assurity that they had eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now similarly, Revelation encourages us that God is in control and has won and will ultimately win. And this is a message that gives us hope and it doesn't matter what is going on around us, we can come back to this message. Revelation 17 verse 4 is one of the key verses in Revelations and it says these, when it talks about these it's talking about the ten kings and the beast and I'm hoping one of the other guys get Revelation 17 to bring to you. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Are we with him today? Revelation also encourages us to persevere in our faith and to be ready. We see that this morning in one of our key verses, verse 3 of chapter 1, Revelation 1.3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. And also later on in Revelation chapter 2 verse 7 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So John was an encourager and he encouraged the believers in his writing. We also see that John was qualified to speak the word of God. And how is he qualified? Well, we read in verses 1 and 2 how he is a servant of God and a witness to the word of God. And this is also echoed at the beginning of the letter of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That's found in the first three verses of 1 John. So John knew and he served with Jesus first hand and as such he was qualified to testify about Christ to the church. Another aspect of John was he talks about how he is a brother and a companion to the believers. So not only was John qualified to bring this message to the church but we also see that John was able to relate to the people to whom he was writing. He understood what they were going through. In verse 9 he doesn't identify himself as some great figure of authority but rather as a brother and a companion. And how so? Well he was a brother and companion in tribulation so he understood their suffering and like them he was being persecuted. He was a brother and a companion in the kingdom. He had kinship with them as a fellow believer in Christ. They were all part of God's kingdom and they were all subjects of God. He was also 
a brother and companion in the patience of Jesus Christ. He related to how they needed to patiently endure difficulties without giving up. And that's something that we can all relate to as well. I mean, sometimes our Christian walk can also be quite difficult. But like all other authors in the Bible, John was not only inspired by the Holy Spirit, he also spoke the word of God. And this is clearly spelled out for us in the opening verses of Revelation 1. And look at how this flows. The revelation of Jesus Christ came from God the Father, was given to Jesus Christ and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. And it was this John who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it is a direct word that came by divine means to John. It's not just a letter that John wrote to a group of people. It is a prophetic letter and it is a word from God. Now we can go further with this. One of the interesting aspects of Revelation is that Jesus speaks directly to the recipients. If you have a red letter Bible, you will see this in parts of chapter 1. All of chapters 2 and 3, and this is when he addresses the seven churches with commendations, corrections and encouragement. And also in the final chapter where Jesus encourages us with his imminent return and the declaration of his eternal nature. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now, of course, God didn't give this revelation to John for John to keep all to himself. We see in verse 1 that it was to be given to his servants to show them things which must shortly take place. And when it talks about servant here, the Greek word that it uses is the word doulos. And this actually means bondservant. Now, what a bondservant is, is, well, they're, they're literally a slave and that possibly doesn't sound that great. However, it is a special type of slave. It is one who serves out of love and devotion to his or her master. So, this word that John was bringing was to those who serve Christ out of love and devotion. Now, um, before we continue, I must point out something. Um, Cal Fane gave me some very specific and strict instructions just to stick to verses 1 and to 3. However, Cal Fane's not here today. <laughs> so, I've already dabbled into some of the later verses and I'm going to dabble a little bit more into uh, some of the verses that come later in chapter 1 there. So remember, not a word. <laughs> if by some chance Calphane happens to mention something that I've spoken about this morning, just sort of be like, wow, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> okay. To whom and why was this letter written? We see in verse 4, in verse 4 we see that John addresses this letter to the churches of Asia and later on he names these specific churches. They are identified 
by name as Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. So these seven churches were actual churches. They were local congregations and they had real life people in them who were fellowshipping at the time that John was incarcerated on the island of Patmos. They were located in Asia Minor. Now if you were to look at today's geography, that's in Turkey. So that's where they were. And this letter that John wrote was circulated by Curia to these seven churches and it would be read aloud in its entirety to the, the different congregations. That's possibly a little bit of a challenge for us as we work through this um, series on Revelation. I challenge you just to try one day, put a bit of time aside obviously, and, see, and read through the entire letter. That's how it was designed to be brought to the original recipients. Now what we see here is that God's word was directed to a current audience, which is the seven churches, and it was also directed to future believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Scholars are not only adamant that these seven churches are real life, flesh and blood congregations of the time, but they also represent the types of churches that have existed throughout the church age. So what Christ says to these seven churches is relevant to the body of Christ throughout all of time. This is what John MacArthur says about the seven churches. Although these seven churches were actual historical churches in Asia Minor, they also represent the type of churches that perennially exist throughout the church age. What Christ says to each of these seven churches is relevant in all times. Now what we find, if we were to read on into chapters 2 and 3, we get a bit of a lay of the land as to the spiritual condition of these seven churches. It is a spiritual condition that would have not just been representative of the entire church of the day, but also representative of the church throughout history. Hence what is written here relates to the entire church, and that includes us. As I mentioned earlier, they were facing persecution, and not just a little bit, but they were facing great persecution. Now, we've sort of got to ask ourselves, can we here in quiet on old Wanganui really relate to that? Are we persecuted for our faith? Now, I know that we are always grateful for the freedom that exists for us, not only to live as followers of Christ individually, but also the freedom for us to gather here together so that we can fellowship and worship together. And of course we shouldn't take that for granted. We may one day face severe opposition to our faith, but for now we are certainly not facing the type of persecution that the church of the first century did. However, persecution wasn't the only issue that Jesus addressed when he spoke specifically to those churches. Here are some of the other things that he spoke about. He spoke about hard work, faithfulness, mediocrity, compromise, tolerating pagan practices, tolerating false teachings. He talked to them about service, loyalty to Christ, denying Christ, suffering and poverty, 
about being faithful to the word, being spiritually dead and he also spoke to them about losing their identity as a Christian church. And there were many other things that we find in those letters to those seven churches. So don't these issues sound a little bit more familiar to us? Do these things sound like some of the things that we face today in our own lives and also as a local body of believers? At the end of every message to a specific church in chapters 2 and 3, these are the words that Jesus leaves them with. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is stuff that is relevant to all churches and to all believers. So these churches were facing not only persecution, but also seduction by the world around them. Now, Graham Goldsworthy, he's an Australian Bible scholar and he presents us with this insight. The seven messages to the churches structure Christian existence during the overlap of ages as a creative tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Our final question today was, how does he encourage them? And that brings us to our title, The Revelation of What? Now the Greek word used here for revelation is apocalypsis. I'm not sure if I um, pronounced that right, apocalypsis. This is where we get the word apocalypse from. Now this immediately conjures up visions of the end of the world and all sorts of chaos and worldwide destruction. And of course the end of the world is a popular on TV and movies. We've probably seen programs and watch movies where there's sort of like worldwide, worldwide superstorms or a pandemic that hits the whole place and wipes people out or some sort of alien invasion or what's even more uh, popular at the moment is the rise of zombies. And as I mentioned last time, parents of teenagers are very familiar with the rise of zombies most mornings or if it's Saturday, most afternoons. But what the word apocalypsis actually translates to in English is the word unveiling. It means to unveil or to disclose something, to reveal something. Hence we get revelation. And the first verse in Greek reads like this, Apocalypsis Isu Christo. Revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Christ and his purposes. Now, if we were to go through our reading this morning of chapter 1, we see that there are many revelations of Jesus Christ. There are many descriptions of who he is, what he has done and what he will do. And these things contribute to an overall picture of Christ. He is the faithful witness. He always speaks and tells the truth and is the faithful witness to the character of God. He is the firstborn from the dead. And I think last time I I did speak to this that what it meant by him being the firstborn from the dead was he was the most preeminent born from the dead. And we spoke about the implications of that. 
He is the ruler over the kings of the earth. He's the absolute sovereign over the affairs of the world. He loves us. He has washed us from our sins in his own blood. We are forgiven of our sins because of the cross of Christ. He made us kings and priests to our God and Father, so we now have direct access to God. He is coming with the clouds. Christ will return. Every eye will see him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Now some will mourn in repentance, but sadly most will mourn in terror because of the predicament that they found themselves in. We see that he's great and eternal. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We also find that he is alive forevermore. He was dead but now alive. He holds the keys of Hades and death. And he holds in his right hand the seven angels of the seven churches and he stands in the midst of the seven churches. And we also see in chapter 1 we see this vision of Christ glorified. And that's just the first chapter. There are revelations and references to Christ throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. But not only that, there is revelation of Christ throughout this entire book. It brings us an overall message. In closing, I'd just like to share... um, just some thoughts that Warren Wiersbe had in his introduction to the book of Revelation and it ties up very nicely what we're talking about this morning. John's John's prophecy is primarily the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of future events. We must not divorce the person from the prophecy for without the person we would have no fulfilment of the prophecy. Christ is seen as the exalted priest and king ministering to the churches. Then he is seen in heaven as the glorified Lamb of God reigning on the throne. Next Christ is the judge of all the earth and he returns to the earth as the conquering king of kings. The book closes with the heavenly bridegroom ushering his bride, the church, into the glorious heavenly city. And here's the challenge for us. Whatever you do as you study this book, get to know your Saviour better. And our final word today, I'd just like to turn to a completely different part of the Bible which brings us this overall message of encouragement. Psalm 31 verse 24 Be strong and take heart all you who hope in the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word that that you bring to us, Lord. Lord, we just thank you that we can be encouraged by who you are and for what you have done for us and for what you will do. Jesus, we declare you this morning as the great and mighty King, as the great Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the first and the last. 
And Lord, we take great encouragement from this. Lord, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter what we're going through. Lord, you are the constant. You are always the Lord and King. Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you as our great and mighty King. In Jesus' name, Amen.